Welcome to this very special edition of Joint Asking for a Friend and Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. And we are absolutely delighted today to have Ralph Kilman, who is the father of all things conflict, grandfather, I don't know. He has been at this for 50 years. He's been thinking about workplace conflict and collaboration about as long as I've been alive. So uh, we are, as you know, we have been thinking a lot about conflict with our new research and our new books. So we are, could not think of a better guest to invite on the show. So Ralph, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. And you are so kind with your words. Thank you so much. So, you know, we're curious, uh, why have you chosen conflict? to be your life's work. You know, what, what inspired that? Well, some of the forces were uh, quite implicit. Uh, others were much more explicit. The implicit ones, which I didn't know at the time fully, is I grew up and my parents had come over from Nazi Germany. Uh, my mother Jewish, my father Protestant, oh. and they had to leave. Otherwise, my father would have been arrested for being married to a Jewish person. And so there was that inherent conflict in how I grew up. And my parents then taught me how to look at other people who are different from me and to honor that, to respect that. And um, that that was my introduction to conflict and conflict management. And then when I went to undergraduate school at Carnegie Mellon, there were a couple of professors who were interested in conflict management, mostly in terms of groups. There was very little work being done on conflict at that time, but a little bit in terms of group conflict and a little bit in terms of organizational conflict. It didn't really take yet, but it was in my background. I was aware of that research. I understood the concept. And then I went to the doctoral program at UCLA, and that's where I met Ken Thomas in 1970. And uh, basically, uh, he had been working on his dissertation on conflict management, and I have been working on instrument development. That's what appealed to me. Can you measure fuzzy things like conflict and change and personality and attitudes? And what does it mean to have a reliable, accurate measure, not just to get a number down? So I studied measurement methodology. Uh, Ken and I met, and at some point, and I can't recall the moment, the aha moment where we said, why don't we create an instrument to measure the different ways that people approach conflict? And there had been a couple of instruments already on that, but they were all plagued with what was called social desirability. Everyone said they collaborate and they never avoid because uh, that was the way they wanted to see themselves. Well, Ken and I, to make a long story short, developed our TKI assessment to counteract that social desirability response bias. So people have to choose between conflict modes that are equal in social desirability. So if they're equal, then I have to choose them based on my actual behavior, not how I want to appear, because all responses make me appear okay. So we developed that instrument and uh, we didn't know if we were going to just put it at the back of a research article and be done with it. But then we had these egos and we said, wow, maybe people, practitioners would be interested in purchasing the TKI. Let's get it published. And we went to some people and they said, no, no one's going to be interested in conflict management and how they approach it. It's not a main topic. But we decided to go ahead anyway. And then when the publisher, Zycom, this was back in 1974 when they first published the TKI, they decided to name it the Thomas Kilman. 
And uh, Ken and I were just amazed. We, it ne never had occurred to us that we could have our names on this instrument. And then we reminded ourselves that that publisher also does the Myers-Briggs indicator, and they therefore put the author's name in the title. And then 50 years later, there's been, oh my goodness, so much interest in conflict. Uh, I don't need to tell you guys uh, what it's been to this world. Uh, diversity in the workplace, deregulation, globalization, um, political polarization, you name it, it creates conflict. And from the workplace all the way to the international scene. So I can tell you, Ken and I did not anticipate that conflict would become so mainstream and be discussed on every news channel. Never anticipated that. Maybe intuitively, but we never talked about it. And it just developed that way. So um, it's amazing that I find that my work is now receiving so much popular attention just because the way the world changed. Yeah, yeah. So the TKI assessment is so good for so many reasons, but one of the things is that on the you know, for a user, it's so simple. And then of course, all of the research and everything that's behind it. And as, as you read your book, or you get in and you can say, gosh, there is so much to this, but I have facilitated that in exec ed programs before and people love it because it, it really does give you some very practical, we're very all about really practical around here, very practical approaches. So we'll, we'll talk about the assessment in a, in a moment, give you an opportunity just to, for if, if somebody's tuning in and they haven't heard of the TKI assessment, give you an opportunity to talk about that. But I thought to start, to ground our conversation, there, there was one sentence that really struck David and I as we were preparing for this interview. I'd love just to begin there with your insights on that. And it says, conflict and change comprise two sides of the same coin. Change creates conflict and resolving conflict creates change. And I'm curious is, you know, what are the, what are the, what, what does that mean for leaders? What are the practical applications? The well, so what to, put, that? to put the matter in perspective, uh, it turns out that most of my academic career has actually been focused on organizational change and development. So I've looked at organizational structure, reward systems, teams, uh, job analysis, uh, process management, TQM, everything pertaining to the workplace and organizations. And conflict has always been a part of that because whenever there's change, as I mentioned, there's going to be conflict. You can't get around it. And if you resolve the conflict, you create change. They go hand in hand. So it's not a surprise that conflict and change go together, but they're often discussed as if they're separate topics and they're really not. And for example, when you bring conflict into the workplace, into an organization, you realize that there are these systems in the organization. And one of my most important principles that I've re recurred in so much of my research studies is that at least 80% of the behavior you experience in organization is driven by the systems, not by personal preferences. So if you eventually switch out the people and bring in new people, Within the same situation, within three months, they're having the same conflicts, the same conversations, because it's their conflicted departmental goals, the different culture of different work groups, the reward system, different bosses' behavior throws the members into conflict. So they may want to choose certain conflict modes, but the system dominates. So that's another reason why organizational change goes hand in hand with conflict, because we may have to change the conditions in the organization so that people can actually resolve their conflicts in a healthy, 
effective manner. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that principle was, I, I, when Karen and I were preparing to speak with you, Ralph, we were reviewing that 80% uh, uh, figure that has been so foundational and helpful for me in my leadership career. And uh, some of the executive coaching that I received many years ago and, and as a, on the receiving end of the TKI and uh, so grateful for your work in that regard. And for leaders listening, when you're thinking about that interplay between change and conflict, we just can't overstate how important the, the system, the conditions and everything is that's affecting what's happening on your team, in your organization. So to be sure that you're looking at that as you're thinking about conflict. Yeah. I should mention that perhaps one of the most famous gurus in TQM, total quality management, was W. Edwards Deming. He put the number at 85%. He actually mm -hmm. called it the 85-15 rule. And in his 14 principles, he, he mentions it. So he thought it was more like 85%. I'm willing to be a little conservative <laughs> at 80. But the point is the systems dominate. And some of my work on conflict management has identified the attributes of the system that have to be in place a certain way so that people can resolve their conflicts in a healthy manner. Mm -hmm. And if those attributes aren't there, people shy away from conflict. They run away from conflict. Conflict is viewed as bad to be avoided at all costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're talking with Ralph Kilman, co-creator of the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, the TKI, if you're familiar. Uh, author of so many books recently, among them, most recently, Mastering the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, and then uh, before or previous to that, creating a quantum organization, the whys and hows of implementing eight tracks for long-term success. And we're going to be looking at some of those things as we go down, uh, have have this conversation. But Ralph, I'm curious, uh, and and you were hinting at this, taking the, the change and conflict interplay, how do we reframe conflict from something bad that people want to avoid to productive dialogue because there's this element of conflict that can be very creative and healthy and help us achieve the change that you're talking about. Yeah. How do we, how can we help as leaders, how can we help people to make that, that change? In well, at the start of virtually all my conversations and presentations on conflict management, I address the issue by saying conflict is not bad. It's inevitable. It's like death and taxes. You can't get away from it. The only issue is how do you manage it? And then some people say, oh, it would be a better world if we had no conflict, if we could eliminate all conflict. And I say, if we eliminated all conflict, we'd be dead. We need conflict. Physical systems need conflict. Particles need to bounce off of other particles in order to develop certain chemical properties. Conflict is from the physical system, the social system, the behavioral system, you name it. So it's there. So once we realize we can't get rid of it, we can't eliminate it, how do we manage it? And the other flip side of that is if you stay in the conversation, if you work on it, if you're able to create the conditions to have an effective dialogue, you will be able to be more effective, more productive. You'll be able to be happier because you're getting your needs met and you're helping other people get their needs met. In some sense, happiness is helping yourself and others get your most important needs met. That is the outcome of conflict management. To run away from that is to run away from your human happiness and health. Mm. Mm. You, you talk about, I think a good place to start is the inner conflict. And you have four ways of thinking about the inner conflict. So can you share a little bit about your thinking there? 
Well, during my time in California, I've been here now for uh, 22 years or something, I went on a lot of consciousness retreats and workshops to explore the inner self. And as a result of that, I started appreciating how our inner self impacts on every interaction we have in the outside world. And so basically what I realized is that there were these four internal conflicts. I call them the foundational inner conflicts that kept coming up again and again. The first conflict is, are you a physical body or an energy body? Are you purely just physical or do you also radiate energy and emotions which affect other people? And I remind people that if someone walks into the room, you can feel the tensions, you can feel the excitement. The energy is contagious. People are not just physical, they're radiating this energy. And that sometimes speaks more volumes than any words. You know, we talk about body language. Well, energy is energy language and people can read the situation by assessing the energy. So we're not just physical. Incidentally, I pose each inner conflict as an either or. So you're either a physical body or an energy body, which sets up a debate, a conflict to ultimately resolve the issues by bringing the energy into the physical body so that you're both. It's not either or, you're mm -hmm. both. And once you realize you're an energy body, you are become more sensitive to how you come across to other people. Like yeah. some of the work that you've guys done on powerful phrases for dealing with conflict in the workplace. Well, once you realize that you are an energy body, you're going to talk and present yourself in a different way that influences other people. The second inner conflict, which I also pose as either or to set up the debate, is are you governed by your ego or are you governed by your soul? And ego and soul are two very different voices that people have in their head to suggest to them how they should live their life and what they should do in any given situation. Mm -hmm. So the ego is concerned about survival, fame, glory, power, influence, longevity, immortality, fame, glory, all that kind of stuff. That's the ego. It's great energy, but it's focused on those things. The soul asks this question, why were you born? What are you here to do? Why were you given the privilege of life? What is your divine purpose here? How can you serve that purpose? And again, we can begin by saying either you're an ego and you follow your ego or you follow your soul. But ultimately, that's a conflict that can be resolved so you can be on the same page with your ego and your soul. And you can put your ego energy behind your soul's purpose. It's a win-win. And of course, how you address that conflict says everything about how you approach other people. Are you approaching them as just an ego who wants to be famous or a soul that wants to deliver your gifts to others and help humanity along the way of its own evolutionary path? And then the third inner conflict. This is an interesting one because this speaks to the principle of systems that we just talked about is the third inner conflict is, are you separate from your surrounding systems or are you an integral part of your surrounding systems. So often people think of those surrounding systems like strategy, structure, reward system, my boss, as being outside me, someone else's responsibility. Now, can you imagine if everyone perceives and observes their systems to be outside themselves and someone else's responsibility? Who's taking care of the systems? Nobody, okay? And so essentially we can say, what if we realize there is a oneness 
in the universe. This is more a spiritual approach mm -hmm. with the uh, Eastern world, where we realize that there are these connections among all of us. We are one human community. And as a result of that, those systems are as much a part of this as anybody else. And if they are a part of us, we are fully responsible for managing them and putting them to align ourselves so we can get our most important needs met and help other people get their most important needs yet. So that third one is quite profound in the sense of, are my systems outside me so I don't have to be responsible for them? Or is that something I have to be responsible for? I have to speak up and help other people discuss our culture, our strategy, our structure, our reward system, our jobs, what we view about the customer. We have to come to some understanding of that. Otherwise, we're always going to be at odds. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth inner conflict, which I think that you can make more progress after you've done the first three. That's why it's the fourth one. And the fourth inner conflict, are you ready? Yep. <laughs> Have you resolved your primal relationships or are you still acting out your wounds from the past? And what happens so often, welcome to the human race, we are traumatized growing up. I don't think you can be a developing human being on this planet without experiencing some form of wounds and traumas growing up. That's the nature of the human race. The question is, what do you do with that trauma? Do you act it out on other people? Or do you use that to ultimately become a more sensitive, compassionate, loving person? Do you turn the wound into a gift? That's the glory of a wound. It can teach you to do something you wouldn't have ordinarily done, and then you can be something wonderful to other people and to the planet as a whole. But that's not easy to confront some of those demons from the past. But if you don't come to peace with your traumas, you're likely to act it out. Can you imagine a work group meeting where everyone's projecting all their nonsense from the past because those people remind them of their past perpetrators. No one is present. Everyone is living in the past, acting things out. How can you develop an effective business decision when you're not present for those discussions? Ralph, I was just in that meeting last week. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, I don't have to imagine that. I've experienced it. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So if, thank you so much. If you're just joining us, we're here with Ralph Kilman and he, he, we're talking, who's founder of uh, the TKI and written numerous books on conflict. So what we'd like to think about as we turn and talk a little bit about the TKI and just maybe give people if they're just, most I think have heard of it, but give us the one minute. What is this about? The elevator I'll speech. Yeah, please. Okay. Well, the TKI is based on what we call the TKI conflict model. And it's a two-dimensional model. The Y-axis we call assertiveness. That goes up and down. That's the extent to which I try to get my needs and concerns met in a conflict situation. That's the Y-axis. The X-axis goes from left to right, and that's called cooperativeness. And that's the extent to which I want to get your needs and concerns met in that conflict situation. So on this space of trying to get my needs met and trying to get your needs met, we plot the five conflict modes. So competing is high on assertiveness and low on cooperativeness. I want to get my needs met. And for the time being, I'm not at all concerned about your needs. Then accommodating is the opposite of that. High on cooperativeness low on assertiveness. I'm not concerned about getting my needs met. 
I'm only concerned about getting your needs and concerns met in this conflict situation. Compromising is in the middle. It's like, let's split the difference. So we get some of our needs met, but not all. So we flip a coin or we say, let's split the difference. Let's take a middle ground position. It's not perfect, but at least we get something out of this and then we can move on to another problem or conflict. Avoiding is low on assertiveness and cooperativeness. So you're not trying to get your needs met. You're not trying to get the other person's needs met. Typically, you leave the situation. You walk away. Now, I should mention for avoiding, as well as all the other conflict modes, there's good and bad uses of that approach. Mm -hmm. So avoiding is very effective if you're not ready to make a decision. If tensions are high and people are not even listening to one another, you need more time to collect more information. You have to talk to a few more people. So you say, let me get back to you next week. You're avoiding, but you're doing it in a productive way. Bad avoiding is when something is really important to you and other people, but because you don't like conflict, you want to eliminate it, you want to stay away from it, you don't want to be hurt from it, you avoid. And therefore, you're not getting your important needs met, nor is the other person. So that is, and the same is for all the other modes. You know, they have a good and bad use depending on the situation. And then the fifth mode is high on assertiveness and high on cooperativeness. I'm trying to do it all, win-win. Get my needs met, get your needs met. And collaborating is that fifth mode. It sounds ideal, but only works under certain situations. In fact, this brings up the attributes of the situation that determine if you can use a conflict mode effectively. So for collaborating, there must be trust. You must be willing to share what you really need and want with the other person without fear that it's going to be used against you. You must take the time to have a discussion. Those discussions take time. It should be on something important to both of you. Don't collaborate if it's a trivial issue. You're wasting your time. You're wasting precious resources. So it has to be something important to both of you. You have to be able to take the time. You have to have a good conversation. You have to actively listen to one another. You have to want the relationship to last because basically you want to get your needs and the other person's needs met. And if people don't get their needs met, at some point they disengage or they leave the situation until something better gets along. Okay, so so those are the five modes. They all work under certain conditions and they're all based on that TKI conflict model of assertiveness and cooperativeness. Nice. One of the things that really struck me digging in, which I didn't hadn't realized this when I have used the instrument in the past, was that you have actually tried it with have people do it in two ways, inviting people to think about generally how do they approach the conf- conflict and then inviting them to say, think about the specific team that you're on. How would you approach the conflict? What was fascinating then was when you plotted the org chart. Yeah. And what happened there? Do you want to speak a little bit to that? Because I thought that was very telling about yeah, some you're, of that you're, in too. Right. You're bringing up the, the use of the TKI where each person takes two assessments. And the first assessment is focused on with the instructions inside your group, inside your team, inside your organization, in the workplace. How do you usually respond when you find that your wishes differ from those of other people? And then you take the TKI a second time with these instructions outside your organization, outside your group, outside the workplace. How do you usually respond when you find your wishes differing from those of other people? And people can have two totally different responses because they behave differently in the workplace and back at home or in some other setting. 
And what we often find, you mentioned about the organization chart, we take the organization chart and on each box, we plot the TKI conflict management, conflict management model. And then we show the results of the TKI by if you came out high use of a mode, it's a large circle over that mode. If it's low use, it's a very small circle. So you get a picture of what is the pattern of conflict handling behavior up and down the hierarchy and across the divisions. And what we usually find when we have people take the TKI twice is on the inside perspective, looking at the TKI from this is how I behave inside my organization. As you move down the hierarchy, more avoiding and accommodating. So on the top, we have the assertive modes, competing, collaborating, compromising. We move down more and more avoiding and accommodating. Now, top management might say, well, maybe that's just the nature of the way those people behave down there. But then you find with the second TKI, they are very assertive in all other settings in their life. And then senior management has to say, what is going on here? So we have these assertive people, but yet in the workplace, they just give in to what we're saying and they avoid all discussions and they just say yes to whatever we suggest. We're paying them all this money. We're not getting their wisdom and talent. They're keeping it from us. Right. So this is very telling. And then it brings up the whole topic of systems. What's going on with the culture and the reward system and perhaps leader behavior that for the people in the lower levels of the organization down to the front line are avoiding and accommodating and we're not getting their wisdom and their talent. That's very telling. So that's a powerful diagnostic tool to say, my goodness, we're not getting our human resources capital applied if people are not sharing what they need and want and discussing it and coming up with resolutions that address all the issues that we're facing. Yeah. Such an important dynamic to address and that, that cultural aspect of and the system, again, the role of the systems that are in play. Our guest today is Ralph Kilman, co-creator of the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument. And uh, we've been talking about uh, that instrument, the TKI, and some applications of it. And Ralph, a, a moment ago, you were talking about how these five uh, modes of uh, different ways of, of dealing with conflict, they all are appropriate or inappropriate in different circumstances. And those contexts have a lot to, to say. And you shared, for example, of collaboration and collaborating where you would and might not want to use it when it's a trivial issue or time is short or those sorts of things. I'm curious, uh, when we think of, let's say, competing, uh, there are times where the co competition style might be appropriate. What might be one of those examples? Well, competing tends to work best when this is a dangerous statement you know you're right. <laughs> because of course, there's some people who think they're right all the time. But if you have strong evidence that your position is important and correct, then you want to argue for it. If that issue is very important to you and perhaps not as important to others, you might want to state that to people and say, please hear me out. This is very important to me. I hope you can go along with this. I really need this to happen. And when the time comes and there's an issue that's more important to you, then I'll help you achieve that but this is something I really need and want now. That's competing. Now, there can be a bad form of competing that says you have to follow me or you're going to experience negative consequences. I'm going to make life difficult for you here. You better follow what I have to say. That's competing, but it results in a very negative culture in terms of people feeling fear and also not being included and empowered in the situation. 
and competing is you don't have a lot of time. I mean, the the, fil- the building's burning down. You want to hold a collaborative discussion about which exit to take? No, you need someone to take charge and said, go down this path. This is the safest. We got to get out of here. So again, competing works great when you know you're right, when the issue is more important to you than the other people. You don't have a lot of time. And there may also be stress. In fact, stress is a key attribute of the situation, uh, particularly in, in our times today. And if stress is high, you can forget about collaborating. You can forget about any mode that requires a conversation because people are at their wits end and they're not thinking clearly. So you have to first bring down that stress. In fact, I would say this. I've mentioned that conflict management space of competing, collaborating, compromising, so on and so forth. When there is really overwhelming stress, those five modes collapse into three. It shortens. It truncates the conflict management space. You ready for this? Competing becomes fight. Avoiding becomes flee. And accommodating becomes freeze. Fight, flight, freeze, which is the sympathetic nervous system reacting to a very stressful, fearful situation. You close down your mind. You act more like a reptile in a dangerous situation. You can't think clearly. You can't resolve a complex conflict. It can't happen. So under stress, you're going to have fight, flight, freeze, no good conversation. So you need to bring some mindfulness and peace into the situation so people can then relax and talk and really try to listen to one another. So stress is key. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, when we read that yesterday, I was thinking about the our World Workplace Conflict and Collaboration Survey because we asked people, what is the best advice they would give themselves if faced with the big conflict again? And over half said they would remain more calm, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's exactly what you're saying, because the, if you lean in and into all that stress, it's hard to think straight to communicate appropriately. Well, just think in today's world, all the sources of stress uh, that have become accelerated in the last five, 10 years. I mean, we can just mention the pandemic, uh, polarization, people not listening to one another, political fighting international war, civil wars. I mean, this creates stress across the board. And then you have social media, which puts this in our lap a thousand times a day if we like to, and and that adds stress. So you hear the same story 15 times, and then your body is adapting to the stress 15 times. And so people are putting themselves in harm's way by being on all the platforms that keep repeating. And in some cases, it's misinformation, disinformation, but it's based on fear. Apparently, people get more likes for negative discussions than for positive ones because people are on the lookout for what is scary, what provides anxiety, what might put them in danger. That's the nature of our world today. Yeah, crafted again, function of the systems. I might go as high as 85 percent. on that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's as you were discussing the, the variety of ways that we choose which of these styles we're going to play, you know, the. You said it's one thing to choose the right mode. And this is your most recent book, Mastering uh, TKI. It's one thing to choose the right mode in a, any conflict situation, but it's another to implement it effectively. And I thought this was a really important point that you were drawing out about. And you just illustrated it like with the competing, but you, you give several examples. If, if avoiding mode is the best choice, avoid in a way that makes other people feel valued, appreciated, and respected right. and tell them why you're leaving the situation, competing the same thing. It might be the best mode in a particular moment, 
but it's how you use it. So what should we be paying attention to? Well, give an example uh, you mentioned about avoiding. I mean, someone can be at a meeting and they say, you know, I'm sick and tired of this nonsense. We're discussing the same thing. I'm out of here. And you stand up, you walk out, you slam the door. That's avoiding. Or avoiding is also, you know, I need some more time to make a decision. I need to talk to a few more people. I'm not ready for this. And based on my reading of the situation, we really don't have to make a decision now. We have till the end of the month. So let's collect more data so we are confident that we're making the right decision. That's avoiding. But it, it, it respects other people. It engages them as a team. It doesn't tell them that they're nonsense and judges them. And you slam the door, which always affects people in a negative way. That's a bad emotion. And so that can apply to every one of the five modes. So to ask the question, and, and we can talk about what powerful phrases can be used to help people be productive and satisfied in those conflict situations. And basically, they have to learn to say things that show respect, kindness, compassion, empathy, all things being equal, people will be more engaged in the conversation if they feel those experiences. Mm -hmm. So you brought it up. I was going to at the end, but let's go there. What are a couple of your best powerful phrases for, for addressing a conflict? Well, I think it's a kind of situation where it depends so much on the particular people. Mm -hmm. And you look at them, it's kind of you learn to read faces, read eyes, read body language, read energy. And you say, in this situation, do I tell a joke? Do I say something silly about myself? How do I just bring things down a notch so people can relax? So I may address it as an issue of stress, or I may simply use my own style to engage in a nice, pleasant, cheery manner and, and let that affect other people. I have found that when some one person comes in with compassion and empathy, it affects how the other people in the group respond. Conversations that involve compassion and empathy send the theme, the tone that dominates. So if other people are angry, fearful, when you show kindness and compassion, it can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So I model the behavior that I want the others to see. So most of the time I find I don't even have to say a phrase. I simply use myself as an example of what other people can see and what people can model. But if I need a particular phrase, I may talk about, I said, look, we don't seem to be listening to one another here. This is very important to all of us. I really want to work with us, with you people, and we want to be together in the future. We want to stay on this team. We want to help this organization. What's the best way of doing that? So it's the way I say it and, okay. and the phrase. So again, it's like we said, it's not just the phrase. It's how you say it. What's the energy behind it? What is the sincerity behind it? You can say a certain phrase one way and people don't believe you. You can say it another way and it comes from the heart and it moves people to change how they look at things. So powerful. I am curious as you're talking about the way that we're approaching these conversations and, and getting into them. Uh, when you look at all, I mean, you have decades and decades of people taking the TKI and the research that you've done around it. Is there anything that stands out as unexpected or surprising for you in your work and research around conflict that uh, you weren't expecting or that continues to be a, wow, that's important and we need to pay attention? 
Well, what has continued to amaze me, it's actually quite simple, but it's very powerful and profound, is when people first take the TKI for the first time and they get their results. And then some people look at it and say, oh, I came out high on competing. You mean there's four other modes? <laughs> I thought this is how you approach conflict. You just fight for what you are supposed to get. It's what you need. You go after it. That's it. And, and then you can ask the person, are you always satisfied in the outcome? Well, no, but I'm going to do my best to get my needs met. And then you realize from the TKI, I've got these other four modes. And what the person came out very low on is avoiding and accommodating. So that person never thinks that other people's needs are more important than his or should be included in the discussion or that it's time to collect more information and not force people into a decision. In fact, sometimes competing is called forcing. You try to force people into a decision to get your needs met without being concerned about their needs. So I think the most telling profound thing, it's so simple, but it happens again and again, it always puts a smile on my face when I see that people say, my goodness, I've got more behavioral choices here. I don't have to do this thing one way. What would happen? Let me try out these other kinds of behaviors and maybe I'll get a different kind of outcome. In fact, I even have experiential exercises where I take the people who are high on competing and put them in one group. Those who are high on collaborating together in another group. So we have five groups based on high scores and the people don't know yet what, they, what those modes mean. All they know is they were put in that group because they scored the same. And then you give them a task to do, a ranking exercise where there's <laughs> conflict, like lost at moon, lost at sea, lost in the desert. Jay Hall has a number of these kinds of exercises. And then you find, you share later, how did they go about? And my goodness, they went about it so differently. It opens everyone's eye. I mean, the compromising, they're flipping coins and getting out a calculator <laughs> to come out with the rank ordering of those items collaborating. They discuss every item to death. I mean, everything is important. We have to collaborate, even if it's an unimportant item. And so that shows people the impact of the five modes. And then you do role playing. You have a person who's high on competing now has to avoid and accommodate others. They practice and then they do it. And then they find out after they've been working on and doing these conflict, different conflict modes for a while, you give them another TKI to take. They come out differently. See, no. what I should stress is the TKI measures behavior, not an enduring personality trait. That's what the Myers-Briggs measures. You're not supposed to change too much on your personality. It's kind of embedded. But the behavior can change moment to moment. So if people take a TKI, get great insights, practice, role play, do an exercise, and then take the TKI again, Surprise, surprise, they've already developed a different approach to conflict management, and that's attested by their responses to that second TKI. And that helps then lower that overwhelming stress when we're looking at those eight attributes. The more skillful, the more we're able to switch between appropriate modes in different scenarios, the, the more tools we have in our tool belt. It, it can help us that way. Well, one thing you learn with conflict management and TKI, I call it you have to read the situation. In fact, there are these eight attributes, and I've mentioned some of them about the stress in the situation, about do you have the time to have the discussion? How important is the issue to both of you? There's eight of these, but you have to read the situation. And when you read the situation, you say, given now what that situation is, what is the best approach to conflict management that is most likely to succeed and at least get some of our most important needs met? And then 
with our systems approach, we say, what if the current systems have the attributes such that we can only use competing and avoiding? How do we change the system? That's where change management comes in. So we look at those eight attributes and we say, let's take some time to change the culture, the strategy, the structure reward system. So we'll get to the point where people in this organization, in all divisions, all levels, all areas of the hierarchy can use all five modes as needed, depending on the issue at hand. My goodness, then the organization has very effective conflict management in the workplace. But it's not just teaching individuals about their own conflict style and what their other choices are. It's also changing the systems to support the use of those modes effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is vital. It doesn't work unless you're addressing both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you think about leaders who are listening to the show, watching the show, who are listening and going, okay, yes, I, I wasn't familiar with these five modes. I really, I want to learn. I'm going to do that. And I'm hearing what you're saying about the attributes. And maybe I'm not the CEO. Maybe I'm in more of a middle level or even at a team leader level. What can I do to start positively creating those eight attributes to create the choice between modes that, that you've described? In many organizations, the manager of a team or a department has some discretion in what goes on in their team and department. They may not be able to change the company-wide reward system. They may not be able to change the overall strategy of the organization, but they usually have some degrees of freedom in their own group, their own team. And then they could work on a group culture that brings stress down, that encourages people to have open conversations. We certainly know that the leader's behavior sets a signal on what's expected in this team. And if the leader is very aggressive, very competing, very opinionated, then they're not likely to get people to open up on the team. So leader behavior is very important. But that can be done group by group, department by department. But surely, if you want to create organizational-wide change, to set the organization on a course for the future and to be adaptable to whatever comes up, then on a system-wide level for the whole organization, you have to address culture, strategy, structure, reward system, and mm -hmm. so forth. I should mention that uh, just, I think it was just two, three years ago, I created a new instrument on conflict management. And it's discussed in my TKI book. It's okay. called the Kilman Organizational Conflict Instrument. And it uses the five modes to look at the conflicts people have with their systems, their conflict with their culture, their conflict with the strategy of the organization, their conflict with the structure, their conflict with the teams, their conflict with the skills that are being used in the workplace. So instead of looking at interpersonal conflict, which is what the TKI does, we tend to look at with this new instrument, the conflict between you and your systems which really then opens up the dialogue about what are those eight attributes? Who's responsible for changing the system? If we don't try to change the system to support effective conflict management, we're going to be running into difficulties day in and day out for the rest of our lives. What a helpful instrument. Well, on that note, that would be a great time for us to ask you, uh, Ralph Kilman, where should we connect with you and where can people find out more about you? Uh, Tell us where to go. Well, my website would be the first step, which is Kilman, one L, two N's, diagnostics, plural.com. Kilmandiagnostics.com. And I have most of my hundred plus articles on there, discussions about my books, the online courses, 
a lot of information. Oh my goodness, 30 articles or more just on the TKI, uh, other articles that have to do with change management. Uh, it's packed. So that would be the first place to go. And from there, it leads you to all other places. So uh, it has all my information. It there's a lot on that website. There is a lot on that website. One of the things that was really interesting is that the last book that you the wrote, wrote before this book, where you said, this is my last book. <laughs> and then you had woke up and had a, a dream. You know, somebody said something and then you had a dream. You should write this other book. So I'm curious, is this your last book? Or, well, or that's interesting. <laughs> uh, you describe it very well. I really defined that nine, the 2021 book uh, the creating a, a quantum organization as my legacy book, the last book. This includes everything I've ever done. And that was 2021. And then just this past year, March 1st, I get an email from someone in the Myers-Briggs company that says, I see all your blogs and your newsletter. Did you ever think about putting all the TKI stuff in one source, which I took as one book? It never occurred to me. I never before did a single book that focused exclusively on the TKI. That was March 1st, 2023. And then I went into high gear. And then in June, the book was published. It's the fastest I ever put it together. People said, how did you do a book that fast? I says, well, I've been living this for 50 years. It just flowed. It just nice. flowed. And then I actually say in the preface, if someone asks me, are you going to write another book? They wouldn't believe me, no matter what. So, <laughs> What difference does it make? And uh, right now, there's no plan for another book, but you know, famous last words, right? Well, that gives us that gives everyone a moment to read this. And the name of that book is "Mastering the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument." It is phenomenal. Uh, if you have enjoyed what we're talking about and you need to go deeper, this will take you through every element and including uh, if you're into Myers-Briggs, you've got a breakdown there of the different uh, interactions and and how all of that works and uh, in, intersects with the. The TKI, it is, uh, it's just brilliant. It's so helpful. And I can't encourage our, our viewers and listeners enough to check it out. Uh, Ralph, it, we'll give you a moment to say any final words for our, our listeners, but we just want to thank you so very much. It's been absolutely our honor and pleasure to be able to have this conversation with you. Well, I think the last point I will make, it turns out that the uh, last chapter in the TKI book is on the most devastating conflicts that we could ever face, having to do with civil war and international war. And currently on our planet, we are witnessing the acceleration of civil war and international war. And yes, this is a domain of conflict management. And we have to look at how can we bring peace to those areas of the world. In the last chapter of my book, I bring together everything I know about war, having to do with egos, people's insecurities, polarizing conversations, politics, social media, people's problems with authority because they had trauma growing up by being either overly controlled or abandoned. And either way, as a result, they want to blow up the system. And we saw that on January 6th uh, of previous years. So basically, uh, there's a lot of anger and rage about systems. And this is conflict. And so, yes, we can't just focus on interpersonal conflict in the workplace because we have to deal with what's going on within countries and between countries on this planet. That is the ultimate conflict that needs to be addressed and resolved. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it very, very much.
thank you as well for all of the the legacy of work. This is so important. It's important for everyone listening. So we really, truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, good. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.